Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and of course, everyone in between. My name is Clifton Duncan. This is my podcast. Uh, I have a, another incredibly exciting conversation to share with you today. But before we get started, however you're consuming this content, please make sure that you leave a thumbs up, subscribe, and share this recording. If you love it, share it with your friends. If you hate it, share it with your enemies and help this podcast grow. Now, getting down to business. Uh, now, you would think that of everyone on the planet, artists would be at the forefront of protecting the freedom of expression. And yet increasingly, in my view, they seem to be at the forefront of stifling such expression, or at least any form of expression that clashes with their socio-political worldview. Worse still, this particular worldview, some might call it an orthodoxy, seems hell-bent on forcing others to not merely tolerate, but embrace as axiomatic a vision of the world which cannot possibly be true. And as my gorgeous guest has iterated elsewhere, great art ultimately is rooted in the truth. How can art and how can artists possibly flourish in an atmosphere that increasingly views the truth as not only problematic, but harmful or even dangerous? These questions and more are what I hope to explore with my guest today, Mr. Winston Marshall, a beautiful musician uh, and just a, a lovely human being. Uh, Mr. Marshall, how are you doing today, my friend? Clifton, thank you so much for having me on your show. Uh, I, I'm uh, very uh, excited to speak with you. And that's a, I love that intro. I mean, perhaps it's, uh, I don't want to, we plunge straight in, but um, uh, uh, one thing that's, that's happening at the moment we're seeing this Neil Young trying to uh, um, censor Joe Rogan. Um, and I think you sort of touched on this a little bit um, there. Uh, and the, the and, that, and I've just woken up and seen Barry Manilow is doing the same thing. So they, really? you, you, um, Neil Young demanding that Spotify remove um, uh, uh, Rogan's show or else remove his own. So Spotify said they'll remove Neil Young's in, instead, and 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 what I think this sort of typifies of the time is that it, we're in a period of artist on artist censorship. For a bit of context, and I've been thinking about this a little bit. In 1984, of all years in the Soviet Union, the uh, Ministry of Culture decreed that uh, all rock bands had to uh, audition for them, and that 80 percent of their songs had to be written by the union of composers, right? So uh, that was a top-down authoritarianism. Now, uh, we don't have that. I'm not saying that we have that sort of thing in, in the West today, but uh, we maybe had it in the 80s and 90s when uh, the PR, PRMC uh, and people like Tipper Gore uh, were censoring rappers and um, uh, uh, musicians. And, they're, they're, and, and the musicians would would you know uh, fight against that they think there's an ist song called freedom of speech where he lays into her on, on that stuff but we're way past that we've got artists so you've got uh uh neil young trying to uh censor the the, the comedian joe rogan and now barry manlow uh you've uh you've got um it's the it's the cast of the harry potter uh films who are trying i don't know if they're necessarily censoring jk rowling but they're they're, they're the ones, you know, uh, attacking her opinion. And maybe they have a right to, to criticize her. Opinion. Of course they have a right to criticize her opinion. And, um, I, and I, I remember also when Kanye 
few years ago now uh, when he was when he was supporting Trump, uh, and there was a really shocking uh, in either interview or video of him talking about his experience being on SNL and being backstage, and and he's saying they're all bullying me, they're bullying me, telling me to take the hat off, and uh, so. Anyway, so it seems to be this kind of artist on artist um, censorship that's going on, which uh, which is why we're in a position of self censorship, because if you're if it's the person you're in a studio with, if it's the actor you're on set with, who is going to uh, you know do something to jeopardize your career, no wonder then you would keep Sturm in that position. And so that, that's why, because I, th I think self censorship is is the is the one of the problems of 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 the time within the creative industries at the moment, and that's why I think it's self censorship rather than censorship that we, we've got is because it's it's artist to artist. Do you see what I mean? Well, well, here's the thing because I recently had a conversation um, with a, with a Canadian litigator named Viva Fry, who's become very popular uh, on YouTube, and you know, as I was talking, I, I mentioned, <clears throat> and one of the reasons that I began to become more vocal. Um, is a phrase that uh, you've actually sort of uh, said, I wrote it down. You, you wrote, um, uh, I could remain and continue to self-censor, but it will erode my sense of integrity. And what I said to, um, to David was that, uh, and I said this other places too, is that, you know, my, my actor training, I mean, I went to a very fancy conservatory and, you know, we were, we were always encouraged to uh, go to the uncomfortable places, to take off our show, um, our social masks, and to, um, you know, I had teachers who would say, you know, I'm not even trying to teach you anything. I'm trying to get you out of your own way to kind of um, deprogram yourself to go into the so that you can, you know, go deeper into yourself so that you can. Um, more broadly inhabit the universality and the depths of human experience and all of its like joy and its chaos and even its danger and its ugliness. And um, when I was talking to David, uh, aka Viva Fry, I, I mentioned the phrase, the, uh, the erosion of the soul. And I think that that's something that resonates with you too, uh, just in your writing, because I said, what, what happens over time is that, you know, I learned uh, exactly what you just said to, to censor myself. And again, it's not like I'm somebody who has um, these sort of uh, outlandish ideas about Jewish conspiracies. If you want any of that, you can go to somewhere like 4chan, you know, where, where you can't scroll more than two posts without seeing some, uh, let's say, incredibly inflammatory language. Um, but, you know, I, I said over time, um, I'm, I, I, am, I am in a vocation and a discipline where I have to be as true to myself as possible so that I have as much access to myself as possible. And if I keep lying over and over and over again every single day, over time, it's just gonna, it's gonna corrode my soul and it's gonna infringe upon my ability to deliver myself to whatever artistic experience um, I've, I'm tasked to deliver. Because that's what, at the end of the day, and I spoke to one of my um, actor friends about this and, and a light bulb went off uh, in his head. And to his credit, you know, he was very much like, you know, he's like, look, man, I don't care if you're like, you know, right wing or whatever, which I don't consider myself to be. But, you know, his his main concern is the work. But I said, you know, we've gotten to a place and I don't know if you feel this way where we are we are performing uh, and we're doing our work less for the audience who who we should be uh, catering to, not, not necessarily catering to, you know, that has its limits, obviously, but they're the ones who are spending uh, money, which they can make more of, but, 
but more importantly, their time, which they can't get back to have some kind of memorable um, and hopefully transcendent experience. And what I find increasingly is that um, a lot of performers, a lot of artists are more interested in performing for their peers uh, and their colleagues, you know, and critics and uh, casting directors or directors, producers, yada, 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 as opposed to um, prioritizing the experience of, of the artists. And, you know, I said over time, I, mean, I love that. I love what you opened with, uh, with the sort of, um, with that Soviet anecdote, because, you know, I, I, I use the term like authoritarianism, and it's sort of this authoritarian ideology that, um, that doesn't have much interest in art. And I think over time, if we keep allowing the, this, it's not as though it's, it's bad to have these divergent opinions. I think there's a use and a place for it. Like you said, you mentioned, uh, you know, JK Rowling and, and, and the Harry Potter cast. It's like, you know, sure, there is room for debate and discussion of all these ideas. But at the end of the day, um, our, our duty is to create, uh, you, you wrote somewhere else about, you know, hope and love and, you know, but these, it's, this, it's these broader kind of human experiences that transcend any sort of political orthodoxy or ideology. And I think the political orthodoxy and ideology is part of the issue right now that's stifling so much of what, uh, of what we do. And I don't know, and I feel like, um, uh, last thing I'll say is that I, I feel like, I, I don't, I, I think it's not laying the groundwork for creating great work that will stand the test of time right now. And that's one of my biggest concerns at the moment. Uh, certainly agree that that art that that's made with a political agenda uh usually but not always isn't great art but that but just to rewind a second into what you said that there's two phenomena there that that um that are interesting one is that um uh the the idea that you you you, you say as an actor you're plunging you know the depths of yourselves um well how can you possibly uh do that and and uh, perform or create or write to the best of your ability if you're scared to make mistakes like you're not allowed to make mistakes and you're not allowed to go to those places and 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 um uh, think anew think think differently um and and so that's a serious issue but then there's the uh, and this is something else you're referring to here, which I, I, I experienced certainly in the arts is, is the feel of the feeling it has on your, on your conscience. And, and that's when the industries are so politicized where you not, you don't necessarily want it to be, you don't, you know, art doesn't have to be political at all. And, and so why did a certain period of uh, time in the industries over and over again, these small, you're forced to either nod along um, or not, you know, not be difficult on little political issues or that might not be seen political to other people, but are political uh, over, over. And each individual step doesn't necessarily affect you. You can kind of get over it like, oh, OK, well, I don't agree with that, but that's fine. Uh, uh, you know, it's just a thing. But over a period of time, it just it can wear you down. And that and that was the kind of experience uh, that I was referring to when when I wrote about um, the gnawing of, of the conscience and, 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 um, that, so that's, that's something that, that's, that pushes people away. I mean, I, I, it's pushed you away from your own city, from your own profession, from New York to Georgia. 
and uh, that's that's massive. I mean, that's absolutely complete upheaval. It's and was that part of your was the move you made from the city from that state to that state was that uh, uh, because of a, a conscious uh, you know that your your morals were were being uh, affected. It was it was an it was an internal battle, or was it a was it a, was it a practical move where you you couldn't work anyway so you had to go what what was what was going on there well you know it, it's sort of a combination of things i mean really the um and again you know another point of um of commonality i feel i have with you is it's that you you are standing up for something and giving up something uh that um that brought you not just great joy but also um you know a great life and um and and success but initially you know so you know, I was in New York City for 15 years, and then the pandemic hit. And um, the response to the pandemic, um, and people have heard me go over this before, but for the first few months of 2020, um, I was very much all in. But I'd say around maybe April or so, uh, I April or May, I, I began to say, okay, you know, we we we've hunkered down for two weeks. Okay, we've extended it again, but I, be I began to become very vocal in terms of like, we can't do this forever. And, um, you know, there's gonna be economic costs, but I increasingly began to feel like there was going to be um, costs to the, uh, the culture of uh, our industry and the performing arts uh, in New York City and really the identity of the city really. Uh, but then once I left, so my, my brother lives uh, uh, here in Atlanta. And so he, he, he offered me a place of refuge. Um, so everything was shut down anyway. And the original plan was to just come down here and to uh, kind of ride things out until things uh, returned back to normal and all blew over, which obviously um, doesn't seem to be happening uh, at, at uh, the pace I'd like it to. But then what happened is um, that uh, George Floyd uh, died and I think there were so many things that were happening all at the same time. I mean, Trump got elected in 2016, obviously, and that just, that led to so much. Um, I really think that that election broke people's brains, uh, at least in my industry, in a lot in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, I, I have my mixed opinions about Donald Trump, obviously. I think a lot of people do, even people that voted for him. But it, I, I found the reaction to him to be really over the top and hysterical to the point where you couldn't even go to an audition for like, you know, like just for big jobs without people stopping you. Um, you know, you're trying to focus and, you, you know, get, get this life changing gig. And it would be like, I can't believe what's happening in this country. And I'm like, you know, what's happening in the country is happening outside this audition room right now. I don't want to worry about that. Um, you know, and it would, it just was a huge thing. And so this idea that the, country was being taken over by this new this rising fascist movement and, and racism you know was just so deeply embedded in these people and and really a part of what i mentioned before is their orthodoxy so um so that was already bubbling underneath underneath the surface and then it was an election year in 2020 and um everyone was at home and people were already stressed out because of what was happening with the pandemic and and they were making so many sacrifices and it was a very stressful time and then when george floyd died and all the unrest um began to unfold, I noticed that my industry was was taking a very, very rapid uh, um, dive into 
um, some might call it anti-racism, uh, some might call it uh, uh, wokeism. And, you know, I, I think the term woke has become um, a bit overused, but the, the thing is that these people unironically refer to themselves as woke. So it's, it's a pretty accurate descriptor, but I began getting all these messages from, you know, uh, white colleagues that I've worked with um, who were sort of apologizing for how they, they were presuming that my experience as a black person uh, was uh, that I was suffering in some way. And, but really what I read it as was, um, you know, you're apologizing because I'm black, which is a racist sentiment. But, you know, but that was fine. And I knew they were coming from a good place and trying to reach some sort of understanding and, and, and healing based on what they perceived was going on because they watched the news. And, you know, the news uh, is rife with problems. I, I always call it the news in quotation marks. But and then I began to receive messages and emails from our various institutions, like uh, our, our actors unions, for instance, um, theaters that I'd worked for. Um, lots of prominent uh, people in the industry began going full bore into, this into these ideas of diversity and equity and inclusion and, um, and this concept of anti-racism. Uh, and the, the, the trick about it is that on the surface, these things sound good, but my but my particular beef was that the ideological roots of these of these ideas, I think, are more injurious to what to what we do as artists and to uh, the long term uh, prospects of what we do as a whole. And uh, I think it's really doing damage to uh, to our discipline and to the arts and really corroding our industry. And so I when I. I, when I saw how swiftly and how overwhelmingly the industry was embracing all of this, and which I think a lot of it, you know, because I, I, I was told that um, the industry was racist and white supremacist, but I have never had an issue. And I've always been overlooked. And I've never looked for any sort of special accolades for, for being black and and doing the things that I was doing. So going back to your question, that's a long way of saying that, um, what really prompted me to speak up. A, I was tired of just biting my tongue all the time for the sake of my career. And I, I've never been much of a careerist, um, but at the same time, um, I said, I'm just, I'm tired of lying. I'm tired of lying to myself and lying to other people. And the irony of being an actor is that, sure, you are, you are, you are living, you have to live truthfully under fictional circumstances. But if you can't live truthfully under real circumstances, then you can't do your job adequately. And, uh, you know, so I was tired of, um, of living by lies. I was tired of this hysterical overreaction to, uh, to you know, Republicans being in power. And I was very, very worried um, that what we were doing was going to do more harm than good. So that's why I began to 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 speak up. And, um, you know, and this is aside from all of my views on COVID, for those who don't know, I mean, I, I've been very, 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 very vocal about um, our response to the to the to the pandemic to the virus. And I, I feel like that's also done harm. So in, in a way, I feel a kinship with you, because, uh, you know, I, I've decided to kind of walk my own path and to um, live by my own truth and make a and make a sacrifice and maybe it'll be worth it in the end but uh you know that's that's so that's my how long have i been speaking but that's sort of my, my deal. <laughs> it, will be, it, will be, it will be worth it for your own soul and and, and yeah. um and that's and that's and that's an important thing that to, to keep to keep one's soul and, and that's why there are cliches about 
going into uh, the the entertainment industry and losing your soul. In fact, in in in, in rock music, the the underlying myth of rock and roll is Robert Johnson selling his soul at the crossroads, and he was the first of the to to die in the Twenty Seven Club. He, you know, uh, the, uh, and and that is the bedrock of rock and roll uh, mythology. But but what uh, without sort of pivoting too far that way, uh, what what were the um, repercussions that you felt when you started speaking out so it sounds like there was a period of time where you you, you bit your lip you kept you kept quiet and then you started speaking out and, and what kind of reactions were you getting within the industry not 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 outside the industry within within the industry the biggest thing right now is that um is the uh, the vaccine mandates and you know i it, it's almost impossible to um to criticize the policy without being accused of rejecting modern medicine and, and being anti-science. Uh, an actress named Evangeline Lilly, um, uh, who's uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as the Wasp, recently spoke out against these mandates. And the point isn't to denigrate um, vaccines in general or the concept of vaccination. The idea is to say no, you know, especially, especially as artists. Um, our bodies are our temples, and I think it's a it's a complete violation of uh, you know the only instrument that we have. I mean, I've always envied musicians that you know you you that you have these external instruments. I mean, you know, I, I mean, you singing as well. You know, is, is is one thing, but you know how I don't think any employer or any uh, any producer. You know, because we all know producers are such wonderful, benevolent people, uh, or, or any government official has the right to tell you what uh, what you can inject inside your body, which is a procedure that's that's irreversible. So, um, but there was a there was an actor named Chad Kimball who um, was a Broadway star, uh, uh, and he spoke out against um, essentially government overreach, um, infringing on his ability to worship and also to, to sing. I mean, you know, his governor was saying, you know, you're not allowed to sing in church. And he said, no. Um, I had some chest gas there. Uh, uh. He, said, he said, no, I'm not gonna allow you to do that. And, you know, Broadway, Twitter, theater, Twitter, the industry as a whole collectively just said, how dare you? You're a horrible person. And I jumped in on it and I was like, no, he's he has a point. And my perspective, um, ironically, uh, was coming from a left wing perspective, which is remember what the Republicans and conservatives were doing um, after 9-11 and the war on terror and how they justified all of these infringements upon our rights and freedoms, um, you know, and, and installing this sort of mass surveillance state with um, because under the guise of keeping us safer, I said, you know, we still have to go through all these TSA checks now when we go through the airport. And uh, later on during the Obama administration, um, we discovered that, uh, you know, we were sitting on top of this massive surveillance apparatus. So the point is, once the government begins to uh, seize these kinds of controls and powers, they don't really give them up um, that readily. And the longer this goes on, the more we are normalizing these kinds of, I call them authoritarian measures. And I think, especially as art and, and as artists, we, we need to be, we, we need to maintain um, our own personal sovereignty. And if you, and uh, my opinion is, as you know, if you uh, want to take 
this medical product. Of course, that's in your right. That's well within your right to do to do so, especially um, if if you're vulnerable. But um, you shouldn't be forcing others to do that. And this is on top of you know. So all this is on top of my my feeling that you know, Trump isn't the devil. And uh, I have no beef with conservatives or right-wingers or libertarians, but we're, we're dealing with people who have been told all their lives that these people are awful people. And I'm someone who's grown up around, you know, I grew up in, in, in both hemispheres and um, I had a very much, uh, very much working class upbringing and I'm around all kinds of, uh, you know, salt of the earth, blue collar, uh, military people. And I'm, you know, religious people. I'm like, these are not bad people, but you're demonizing them. And what's worse than what's worse than that is that you are alienating um, the very people that you want to invite into the theaters. You want to bring them into the cinemas. You want we 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 are a part of this, you know, collective kind of whole that, and we have an obligation really to, especially now, with things being as they are. We're so exhausted. We're beaten weary. Um, you can't, I, I think it's really wrong to exclude people from having the sort of soul nourishment, spiritual nourishment that artists can provide. Um, so right now, you know, I just, I can't audition, I can't work. Um, and I, I, you know, and anyone you notice, I mean, like I said about Evangeline Lilly, they're already coming after her. Um, um, I can't think Letitia Wright um, of the Black Panther franchise. She spoke out about this um, earlier. They came after her as well, even her own castmates. Um, so wow. there's a very, 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 there's just, you know, you become sort of un, unhirable. And um, in, in the music industry, the, the, the famous example is the drama of the offspring who um, right. couldn't take the vaccine because he had some un, underlying conditions and um, they uh, cut him loose. And that's pretty I mean, it was his band, like as much as it was their band. That's like completely shocking. Anyone who's been in a band and understands the camaraderie of, 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 of that scenario um, uh, over the COVID thing. And it's not entirely clear to me that bands are touring much right now anyway. Um, uh, you know, why don't they just get in the studio? And well, perhaps we don't know the whole story, but well, you know, there's, there's plenty of things bands can do whilst we wait for the world to to start start again. Um, and your... your um, one of the th your points there about the demonizing of 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 the other side, uh, which which is something that I've I'm very uh, conscious of, and I and I don't think that there's a, a a side who are not guilty of this, and and have my experience in 2021 of getting criticised for reading the wrong book, and then apologising for reading the wrong book. And then come in. So basically, I had it from all sides, and I saw that. Oh, actually, everyone's sort of behaving the same. The quote woke, and I don't think people do call themselves woke anymore. Maybe five years ago, I use the word progressives because I think that that's actually a term that they they would use. And um, and the and the anti woke and the anti woke probably do call themselves anti woke a little bit, um, but they behave very similarly in 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 this sense. But and. It's certainly one of the great fallacies of the time is that the world is divided into goodies and baddies um, and that uh, baddies need to be removed like a cancer. Um, and, and that is, uh, I think it's certainly a progressive uh, uh, fallacy, but I think that others are guilty of, of believing that as well. And to quote Solzhenitsyn again, uh, Solzhenitsyn 
again uh, from the Gulag Archipelago. Uh, he he said he wrote uh, the line between good and evil cuts through the center of every human heart, and um, uh, and we are all essentially capable of good and bad, and that that's been forgotten, and and and, and Trump perpetuated that, and I, I, perhaps we've learned maybe we've learned the wrong the wrong lessons from history, but remembering that we're capable of of of, of being the bad guys or doing wrong as much as we're doing good that needs to be remembered and if, if we can remember that about yourself then you're able to be gracious to those who you you disagree with so that's something i that i i feel very sensitive to that that, that fallacy yeah well you know i was very interested in uh, interested in your comments about uh, you know what you call the the anti-woke and um you know, but it's 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 funny because uh, you, you described your your own personal politics as a uh, which I might I might be stealing. You said a bit of this, a bit of that, and yeah. um, I feel like a lot of people really are like that. I think I think most people are like that. That there's some things that they like that they can take, and others that they can leave about mm. a sort of particular um, ideology, and they they keep what's best for them, and they sort of get rid of get rid of the rest. And my my fear is that. Um, I don't know if I call it a fear, I'd say more of my concern for the long term is that um, our particular fields are dominated right now by this one particular ideology that's convinced itself um, that everyone else who doesn't agree with them is is evil. And I think part of the irony is that, you know, there's a huge push right now to say decolonize what they, or deconstruct um, a lot of this um, uh, classical literature because, you know, my, my old white European males. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, if you haven't uh, experienced or read, for instance, um, Shakespeare's Macbeth and seen how a, a master dramatist doesn't really opine. I mean, Macbeth, Macbeth starts out as a good man who is celebrated um, by, by the king and the kingdom for being a hero of Scotland. And um, over time, the, the story of the play, you see how he is corroded by this idea of, and, and corrupted by this idea of ambition and wanting to move above his station. Um, and the, one of the ultimate tragedies, you know, he loses everything. I mean, his wife ends up killing herself by the, by the end of the play. His wife, by the way, and that, even that character is such an interesting journey, right? Because she's the one at the beginning who says, you know, she has a whole monologue by herself where she's like, you know, I, I wish I were a man, unsex me here. Um, you know, I, I, she wants, she, she's hungry for this power and, and she, 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 she's, she's just, she's fiending for like this, uh, for all of this status. And at the end, because of, um, for those who don't know the story of Macbeth, uh, basically the, the title character ends up assassinating the king, committing regicide and usurping the throne. And um, what it leads to is a dictatorship and tyranny that ends up causing far, far, far more, uh, more harm uh, than good. And, but his, Macbeth's wife is the person who spurns this on originally. And she ends up becoming so consumed and racked with guilt and remorse by what she's done, it drives her mad. It's one of the most famous scenes in all of Shakespeare's plays where she's the sleepwalking scene. She's walking around with a candle out, out damn spot. She's washing her hands because she's dreaming that there's blood on them because metaphorically there are, there is blood on her hands. And, um, but the whole point is that, you know, Shakespeare doesn't say this person is all good and all bad. And even though they've done horrible things, you end up sympathizing for these characters. And so going back to the point that you were making is that 
you know, the, the great, great art can reveal the duality of our soul, of, of our of the human experience and the human soul, right? It just, it plums those depths and says, you know, here's this great warrior um, who has accomplished all of these feats and who's celebrated by the land, but then he he morphs. And, and, when, and, and, and one of the great scenes in that play is when he has an opportunity to kill the king, he can't bring himself to do it. And it's his wife who says, what are you? You know, you, you, you are, what, what is it? You lack the, you lack fortitude, essentially. He has an attack of his conscience. He's still a good, he's still a good man. But then by the end of the play, he's, you know, murdering people, he's slaughtering, uh, uh, you know, women and children. And I think one of the big lessons from that, going back to what you were saying, Winston, is that, you know, we're capable of all those things. All it takes is like the right sort of set of circumstances, and we can do that. And it's a very, very sobering, but it's also very educational and humanizing. And, and you know, we, we can't, if we are, if we allow ourselves to become um, slave enslaved by this one way of viewing the world, we, we are in danger of forgetting that. And uh, that has an, a consequence in terms of um, making, create, having artists who create art that doesn't really resonate because it's, it's really surface level and shallow. Absolutely. I mean, this uh, this reminds me of something about how we've learned history the wrong way. And this reminds me of something that I think Jordan Peterson said about learning about, let's say we learn about the Nazi Germany and the, the, the sort of lessons that we, 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 we learn about it as if we, we would be the good guys. We would be the ones who, who would uh, speak out against it. And, uh, uh, it actually so happens that my that my one side of my family were Jews that that, that escaped and 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 survived but um but that's but for me even me with my grandmother being a holocaust survivor even me uh trying to understand nazi germany in as from that side would be wrong the correct way to to understand is what would it take for for me to to be the nazi like to to for me to um to be doing evil without realizing you're doing evil and 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 maybe that's why the communist communist uh, the soviet union is is an interesting uh uh way to do it because you know with this words like communism and it's socialism it sounds like you're doing a good thing and clear but they killed tens upon tens of millions of people doing what they thought was was good and and and, and that perhaps are the the lessons that that we weren't taught or we didn't learn right or something along the way. Well, I had a question about that for you because, uh, you know, I have friends who um, of Chinese descent, I have friends uh, from who have Eastern European backgrounds. And it's been very, very fascinating um, listening to how they relate to what they see as current cultural and political trends, uh, social trends in the country. Have you had anybody in your extended family or your immediate family, uh, in, like for instance, your, excuse me, your grandmother, uh, I know you mentioned they, they're Holocaust survivors uh, and have experience with fascism. Have they expressed to you any sort of concerns or they feel like there's some kind of parallels unfolding between sort of the ideologies that are that are prevailing today at all? She's passed, so... Uh, oh, uh, but uh, I certainly would say that my family, oh, well, my family's very mixed and we all have different opinions on, on whatever the topic happens to be. Um, and, and those opinions tend to change uh, uh, week by week. Um, uh, but um, 
but we but there's certainly a, a, a concern of, a, about where where it is and i think particularly for my family seeing the experience that that i that i went through simply for liking a book they were like it's and and, and friends it's kind of woken up to seeing the, the ridiculous lunacy of the the kind of the ideologies at play a little bit um in this in this in this period um uh yeah well shifting gears a little bit um i it's sort of related to the emerging ideologies you know a lot of people that i've talked to about uh, about art and and artists um we sort of settle around like things were sort of they were bumpy but they were going pretty okay until about the um the the early aughts, you know, maybe up around 2010 is the cutoff point. And I'm I'm working with this theory now that, you know, 20, 2020 to 2010, you know, it was 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 cool. But then something happened around 2010 to 2020, where people have lost their freaking minds in a lot of ways. I think a lot of it has to do with the the rise of the internet and social media, and yeah. um, the incentives that, that it puts in place. Um, to generate outrage and and to stoke um, to stoke division. And again, um, when you have people of a certain ideological bent who end up running, it doesn't take that many people, but they end up working in Silicon Valley. They can control. I, mm. I call them I call them the reality cartel. So they they not only control the sort of information that we have access to. They they are they are altering our very sense of reality. And um, but now. Uh, I, I I wonder if the the 2020s now can be a decade where we I won't say reverse the damage that's been done, but that we can work to um, build something new, you know, using this technology uh, out, out, outside of that. So something I ask a lot of artists now is like, what do you feel the role of art and artists is now in in our current society with technology being what it is. Um, a lot of conservatives, and I think Jordan Peterson also sort of hits on this as well, um, because there is a, well, conservatives will talk about the, the God-shaped hole in society. And, um, you know, Douglas Murray, who, who, I, who I really appreciate, who is an atheist like myself, um, he's also talking about this, is that in the absence of um, sort of a Nietzschean perspective as well, like in the absence of God, what do you, re what do you replace that with? And my contention is that we as artists, because of because what we do has the ability to transcend uh, logic and to and to to create beauty and to create these experiences that that again nourish the soul and the spirit. Um, what do you feel uh, is the role of art and artists now in in, in a society uh, in society as it is? Well, that might be. Uh, I had an interesting conversation the other day of a friend who, who made the point that when the printing press was was uh, invented um, and it led to the religious wars of Europe, millions, millions killed and total bloodshed. But ultimately, no one would argue, despite the horror of that initial uh, uh, period, um, no one would argue now against the printing press, although obviously there are periods when people burn books. Uh, and uh, But um, so ultimately, we would say it's a, it was a good thing. Social media, you, you say 2010s uh, and, and now, we, we seem to see the, the social media seems to be bringing the worst out in us. And, and maybe 
uh, the, 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 this, the role we have to play as artists is to try and try and work out what the good side of it is and, and get, get us to pass this uh, rough period um, and, 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 and try and use the, those, those um, new mechanisms and, and new technologies for good, which we'll, we'll, we'll get to um, eventually. But if there's a if there's one thing that artists are responsible for doing, it's the pursuit of truth. And, and um, this is something actually in my uh, new podcast, which I'm noticing, the, the, I had the honor of interviewing Ignat Solzhenitsyn, who, who um, you should have a conversation with him because he's a brilliant guy. And not only being uh, um, unbelievably talented uh, musician, um, he is also expert on the work of his father um, and was even as a kid, I think, involved in uh, the translation of, of some of his work. And, and Ignat, who I think carries the ethos of his father, um, really describes and, and, and talk, uh, well, he talked about uh, that pursuit of truth. And, and that is the responsibility of of the artists um, to 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 portray the truth as they see it, uh, so that um, uh, we can understand the world as it's developing and in, uh, um, uh, in, in, in it's developing in a way that we could never have really imagined. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, there is a first of all, I would love to talk to Mr. Solzhenitsyn. That would be um, that would be incredible. But you know, what we're talking about actually isn't really new. Um, one of my first conversations I had with a young woman named Salome Sibune, and I opened up that cod, that that podcast, um, that that cod pass, uh, with a. <laughs> I was I was talking about this um, this fantastic um, essay, which I'll send you, um, called "What Shall We Ask of Writers?" and it was sort of a response to um, uh, another essay by written by what was it Isidore Isidore Schneider, I think the author was. Um, uh, the essay, What Shall We Ask of Writers, was written by Albert Maltz. But in, um, in Isidore Schneider's essay, um, he, be, he, this was back in 1943, 44, so, uh, or, or, or thereabouts, and he was trying to launch a conversation uh, from the left about the left and left-wing ideology and how it's stifling art. And one of the things that he said in that, in that article, in that essay, was that... Um, which relates to what you just said, is that art uh, does not need to be politically correct as long as it is rooted in the truth. Hmm. And um, I thought that was such a brilliant thing because what you said before about, uh, you know, I think people make the mistake that say that when they when we begin to have these discussions, they say like, oh, you know, should politics never be a part of art? And it's like, no, you know, it's, it's not that. Uh, I, I, one of the examples I like to use is... Um, um, uh, Winston uh, Ntshona, the late Winston Ntshona, uh, collaborated with um, another actor named John Connie, who people will recognize as Black Panther's dad. Um, back in the 1970s, uh, they, 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 these two actors collaborated with a, a writer named Athol Fugard, a uh, South African playwright, to create several uh, brilliant works um, based out of um, the strife of apartheid. One of those plays is called Siswe Bonzi is Dead. And the thing is, they never at any point in that in that show beat you over the head with these messages about how apartheid is wrong. They do what great artists do. They have these people in these circumstances and they show you 
the human experience of people mm. living under those circumstances. And yeah. that to me, rather than the sort of propagandistic messaging, will do far, far more to- Absolutely. Uh, to, to, I, to, yeah, yeah, you, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm saying. I, I, absolutely, and, and uh, someone asked me about this, like art being political and, and stuff, but, and uh, we've talked about Solzhenitsyn a little bit in, in, in this conversation, but it's impossible to tr read Solzhenitsyn without understanding the politics of the Soviet Union. It, it, you can't, if you don't understand Marxism and communism and the Soviet Union, you can't read the Gulag Archipelago because it would just be like, what the hell is this? I mean, you probably could and glean some, some knowledge, but to understand it in its full context and, and, and to understand the truth that it represents, he, he isn't, he had, his agenda isn't political. He's not trying to run for office. He's, he's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a scream of truth at the world in which uh, the totalitarian world within which he he finds himself. Yeah, well, you know, and that's one of the reasons I began to become more vocal and why I sort of began um, initially to kind of move away from and become more alienated from a lot of my peers and entertainment because I began reading these things. And, and you know, and there's a phrase that, you know, they say cultural Marxism, which some have, have um, have dismissed as some kind of conspiracy theory. And I think the reason they do that is because they're sort of ignorant. I mean, I got about halfway into Marx's Communist Manifesto when I, when the lights clicked for me and I realized, oh, I see what they're saying. What Marx, Marx's commentary, which isn't all wrong, by the way, I think that's one of the reasons he's been so influential is that he's, he's highlighting things that we personally find distasteful the you know extreme inequality people living in squalor white while uh, uh, the, the sort of you know privileged few um sort of seem to be kind of uh, i won't say hoarding but you know to 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 whom who, who seem to have all this embarrassment of riches and that is an issue that uh, that i think it's so powerful because it, it it strikes to the heart of us of like, you know, why are people suffering this much who don't deserve it? But I said, you know, Marx's commentary on socioeconomics is being transposed to gender and race and sexual and sexuality. And mm. once I began to see that, I said, that's what they mean by cultural Marxism. It's not some anti-Semitic conspiracy. It's literally just saying like we, the this idea of these sort of concepts that Marx was writing about have been transposed uh, to these other sorts of identities, and th and those are being used. For instance, you know, if if you're you know you're part of the bourgeoisie or the proletariat. So if you're a straight white male, you're part of the bourgeoisie yeah. and you're privileged and you're the oppressor automatically. Yeah. And if you're not one of those things, then you're automatically oppressed. And I think the the mistake that my my immediate reaction was that well then you're a part of the permanent lower class me as a black male would be there's nothing that i could do that and that's why you have people like oprah winfrey who is calling herself oppressed or um what's her name Meghan markle who can sit there and say and be married to uh, royalty mm -hmm. literal royalty and say that that she's oppressed um and i think one of the insidious things about these ideas is that they're not necessarily political and they're very effective because they play again on our innate compassion and our innate care for others. But uh, I feel like it is a, a, it's not as though you need to abandon um, these sorts of ideals. It's just that um, 
I think these ideals are being used and I'm, I, I fear, I'm, my concern is that these ideals and, these, and these, uh, this compassion is being weaponized uh, to put forth, um, to create changes that in the long run uh, might have a deleterious effects, not only on our society, but um, you know, speaking selfishly about on, on, on art as well, but the art is a, is a part of our society. And I think the, that the health of a culture can be measured by the kind of art that it produces. And I, I began to feel increasingly like, you know, I, I was getting these scripts and, um, you know, again, I never got into acting to be an activist, you know, I'm sure you never got into music to be an activist. Uh, um, sure. You know, it's just, for me, it was like, I'm, I'm, I seem to be good at this. And for whatever reason, I have a temperament and an aptitude for it. But I kept getting these, these scripts where it was just, um, the messaging became so overt. And I said, this is not even human. This is not even like great story craft. And we talked before, we keep talking about, about, about the soul. And I began to understand why so many people who are so successful are so unhappy because you read this stuff. And I, and I, and I began to, I had to constantly be at war with myself and even with my representation by saying like, I just don't want to do this because I don't believe in any of it, you know? And I, am I going to be able to show up on set if, if I'm on a successful TV series that lasts for say five or seven years, and I'm going to, I'm going to be, you know, on set for 12, 14, 16 hours a day. Am I going to be, am I going to have to sit there and like lie to my castmates about how, I, how I don't believe in this? Am I going to have to keep battling with writers and producers to try to keep um, crafting better storylines to kind of move away from this stuff, but, or, or try to find some kind of middle ground, or am I going to just keep shutting up and, uh, and, and just doing stuff I don't believe in and getting drawn into these sorts of uh, battles that I don't want. And, um, you know, I just, I'm like, I, I just, I can't. I, I, I can't do it. You know, I just, I can't, I'm sorry. I don't know why, but I can't do it. But the, the, your reference to cultural Marxism, I, I think this is one of the jokes that uh, Dave Chappelle made in the closer about um, how uh, some, I think his joke is something like the trans girls by or the trans people by becoming trans, they make themselves uh, and they, they, they go, they go, they go up the victim hierarchy and it, which means that the problems of racism are not—I can't remember the exact joke—but the problems of racism aren't addressed in the same in the same way. But if if you referencing Marx, and if I, if I can see that Marx was occasionally right uh, in in diagnosing um, the ills, um, he he was absolutely wrong in his solutions, yeah. and it only takes reading. <laughs> Um, uh, only takes reading um, uh, the Communist Manifesto to see that where he, he literally call, he, he says something like uh, uh, bloodshed is the midwife or, or, of change. Or, so he calls for blood, um, and in, in that in the, in the mirror of that is um, if if there are problems, and of course there are problems, um, and, and there are issues that that need to be dealt with. Um, the the a lot a lot of the the um, the cultural Marxist solutions are not the way to deal with it. Um, for an, uh, one example of this, I saw this in the music industry. I remember with um, with the band, we did a BBC uh, show once with an orchestra, and um, the uh, producer of the um, orchestra in the, in the initial meetings were saying, well, we need to have a racially diverse uh, um, orchestra. And I didn't say anything, but 
you know, this goes against my liberal values of choosing people by the content of their character, not the, the color of their skin. Um, and in my head, I was like, you know, do, I didn't say anything, but, uh, I, you know, one would ask the producer, do you not think that non-white people are capable of getting those sort of jobs <clears throat> by merit? And, um, and, and one of the consequences in, 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 in that line of thought uh, of this cultural Marxist thinking of, of, of seeing the world by these identities is that you start racializing everything and you start seeing things in, in racial terms. That doesn't make things better, that makes things worse. See, I, I, I've seen no evidence that that makes things better. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you have seen evidence that it's a good thing to judge people by their color. Please send it my way. But I'm, no, I'm yet no. To... Well, we'll see that. That's the irony, and I, there's so much I want to respond to what you just said. One, um, I recently spoke to um, to the British actor or former actor who got canceled, Lawrence Fox, who, um, you know, he's spoken out about these kinds of things, and he said something that resonated with me. He said, you know, now I'm I'm so I'm more conscious of these things than I ever wanted to be because it's been thrown in my face. And now the typical reply from, I think, a lot of more quote unquote progressive people, I, I never, these days, I, I rarely use the term progressive without quotation marks, because I think at a certain point, things have gone so far off the deep end that to be anti-progressive is to be actually progressive now. But, um, you know, he said, I'm so hyper-conscious of this stuff now in a way that I never, that I never used to be. And um, as someone who has, I mean, I, I do feel like I have been a diversity hire on more than one occasion. And it's and the irony is that these people who claim to be anti-racist, these, these people who claim to be against racism are are incredibly racist to themselves. And um, and what's and it's even more insidious because they they are racist for my benefit. So I, I'd said for a long time that uh, progressivism, quote unquote, progressivism and uh, and alt-rightism are two sides of the same coin. The, the main difference is that the alt-right views white people as the victims and the, and the quote unquote progressives view people who are not white uh, as the victims. And furthermore, you know, you, you mentioned the, um, you know, your liberal values. One of the, another reason that I began speaking up is, is because this ideology that we're talking about, the sort of creeping ideology to me is, well, not to me, but it's, it's sort of baked into it. And uh, people like James Lindsay write about this. Um, it's explicitly anti-liberal. And, um, you know, I mean, there were, when, when there was so much, un when there was unrest, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, in Portland, excuse me, in Portland, um, when you know the Antifa riots were taking place, the, excuse me, the Antifa mostly peaceful protests <laughs> um, were 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 destroying all this property. Um, you know they were they were graffitiing on walls that liberals get the bullet too, and I mm. and I'm saying to myself, these people hate people like you and I. They think people like you and I, with our so-called liberal values, are the enemy. And these are the kinds of people that are increasingly uh, um, populating um, our in our respective industries. And again, you know, it's not as though they can't be great artists and have those beliefs. It's just that I, in my opinion, um, it's those, if we lean too much into these ideologies uh, down, down the road, all it will do is lead to more division and more uh, resentment. And um, especially as a black man, uh, you know, and, I, and people uh, denigrate that phrase, you know, that I don't want to listen to anyone who starts off a, a sentence with as a so on and so forth. But um, I, I, I just, I don't, 
I want to be like, I made a decision back in 2007, right? That if you can't, if someone can't see me as a human being, uh, as opposed to merely a demographic, I don't care if they're a Nazi or if they're a quote unquote white, you know, some uh, bourgeois white progressive. If they can only see me, if they can't see me as a, as a human being, uh, as opposed to just a black person, then that's their problem. And I refuse to play that game where it's just, you have to be a certain way. And what I find here in, in America, at least, and, and I joke that, you know, whatever we, whatever uh, is flushed down the toilet here culturally in America, it, you know, ends up uh, overseas. So I'm sorry about that. I always have to apologize <laughs> uh, to, to, my, to my European friends. But, uh, uh, you know, but now you have people like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, the Pulitzer Prize winner for the 1619 Project, who will say things, or Ayanna Presley, who was, a, you know, a, a prominent uh, a Democrat politician, who will just reject anyone who thinks like myself as not black, you know, they're not politically, they're not quote unquote politically black. And that to mm -hmm. me is the insidious nature, the divisive nature of this cultural Marxist um, and illiberal point of view. Yeah, I've seen that in, uh, I've got a friend in, in London uh, who's a conservative commentator called Calvin Robinson. Yeah, I know Calvin. Um, you know, come the yeah. amount of racist abuse that guy gets is absolutely abhorrent. Uh, and he gets it consistently, uh, you know, things like bounty and, and chalk ice and, and stuff like this. Mm. And uh, and it's and it doesn't get commented on. And that, that's what's so appalling. It's like this awful racism. And it's like the people using it have a they don't even realize they're being racist because they just because it's they're seeing it through this political prism. And they're supposedly anti-racist, and not 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 all of them, but the ones who are using it, it's it's absolutely um, shocking and and uh, yeah, appalling. Well, that's what's so again so insidious. Your, what, your 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 point about the the uh, ethno uh, nationalist right, the alt right, and the progressive left, they're, they're both seeing the world's the world through the the um, the prism of race. And they're doing it to get the better of each other. But it's that they're using exactly, I totally agree with what you said. They're using exactly the same tactics, just an inverse of, of each other. And it's, it's, they're both completely way off. It's, a, it's just a nightmare and uh, it's going to end badly, very badly. And it always has ended badly historically. Rwanda, uh, Europe in the, in the 30s and 40s. It, this is uh, just, it, it could go, it could get worse. Well, and that's the thing that you know, it goes back to what we were saying before is that one, if you deprive people, this is why you read that this is what this is again, you know, the groundwork for me was laid simply by paying attention. So I began to read, you know, so as an actor, a classically trained one, you know, you, you read um, these old plays, uh, you know, Shakespeare, uh, Anton Chekhov, the great Russian playwright. Um, I don't know what it is about Russian writers, but they, man, they, they fucking nail it. I don't know what it is. They just, they the just get it. Um, but what I began to understand very early, um, you know, you do research around these plays, the period that the period that the authors lived in, um, you know, the kinds of lives they lead, you know, but even going back thousands and thousands of years to Greek tragedy and, uh, and what the philosophers back then were talking about is that you realize that, that even though societies change and customs might change, technologies change and evolve, ultimately who we are as human beings and what motivates us to act um, hasn't changed one bit. And so 
when when you begin to say we're going to deconstruct this or we're going to decolonize this and we're going to deprive people of reading um, the of, of accessing these these great works of art that explore all the depths of humanity. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, thanks to thanks to uh, Jordan Peterson, I finally you know cracked open Crime and Punishment, and um, and I got to the first part, and I was like, whoa, wasn't expecting that. And, yeah. you know, and and it just if you if you become ignorant of what we're capable of, then you then you end up. Um, learning and that like the harshest terms of what you're just just what you're talking about it doesn't end well and people say well it can't happen here yes it can why because we're human beings and mm. we do what we do and we've done it for thousands and thousands of years do you think i'm reading right now i just started um uh, hannah arendt's uh, the origins of totalitarianism um, i'm reading a lot around because i'm trying to understand um sort of why people are behaving the way they are now in terms of the pandemic and um, and how people can be induced to uh, to awful awful um, uh, points of view um, if they're pushed in the right and, and nudge in the right directions. And I'm like, no, you have to understand. You have to be aware of these kinds of things because if you don't, you will be doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Clifton, I haven't got too much more time, I'm afraid. So. It's all good. So much, much as I'd like to continue, I mean, maybe we should do a part two. Maybe um, we could do a, a kind of a, a, a roundup or something. Um, sure, we can do that. We can do that. Well, let's tell, tell I, I don't mean to cut you, cut you off because it's very interesting. And I'd like, uh, um, uh, uh, love well, to you are Well, Winston, you are a very busy man. And why might that be? I think you have a lot of things that are going on. Why don't you tell people what you're up to? Um, well, I am uh, launching a new uh, show with um, The Spectator and um, uh, conversations like this with other artists like you, Clifton, and um, trying to get into what is the state of the arts and trying to get into these difficult issues. And I think a lot of the things we've talked about in this conversation are, are ones that, that I, I have been scared to have uh, uh, beforehand, and now that I'm sort of, I haven't got anything left to lose. Um, I feel like I can have those conversations. So I'm going to have those conversations, and hopefully it will make it easier for others to have those conversations. And long may you continue having these conversations because I think I think it's brilliant. I, I genuinely, I mean, conversation is a good thing. Action is also very important. It's not just about chat; it's also about your deeds as well. But it's a good bloody start. Um, anyway, so. Um, uh, I'll be doing that and um, hopefully I'll have some other uh, fun projects uh, to talk about later in the year. But um, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the, the time very much, uh, Clifton, and it's been fascinating and um, uh, very um, uh, informative and, and um, it's given me something to think about for the rest of the day. Feel the same way. Hopefully we collaborate. I'll just close by reading um, this one quote from uh, Solzhenitsyn. Um, live not by lies, which, you know, I, I know you know well, but I think it's so relevant to what we've been talking about. Um, this excerpt says, at first, it will not be fair. Someone will have to temporarily lose his job. For the young who seek to live by truth, this will at first severely complicate life. And as for him who lacks the courage to defend even his own soul, let him not brag of his progressive views, boast of his status as an academician or recognized artist, a distinguished citizen or general. Let him say to himself plainly, I am cattle. I am a coward. I seek only warmth and to eat my fill. 
For us who've grown staid over time, even this most moderate path of resistance will not be easy to set out upon, but it is the easiest among those that lie before us. Not an easy choice for the body, but the only one for the soul. We need not be the first set out on this path. Ours is but to join. The more of us set out together, the thicker our ranks, the easier and shorter this path will be for us all. If we become thousands, they will not cope, they will be unable to touch us. If we will grow to tens of thousands, we will not recognize our country. But if we shrink away, then let us cease complaining that someone else does not let us draw breath. We do it to ourselves. Then we are worthless, hopeless, and it is of us that Pushkin asks with scorn, why offer herds their liberation? This has been the Clifton Duncan podcast, my friends. Again, share it with your friends, share it with your enemies. Um, I hope to see you next time. I'll be talking to comic book uh, uh, artist, veteran, Ethan Van Stiver. Don't miss it. It's a very exciting conversation. Take care, friends. Peace out. Mm -hmm.